What does it mean to be Swedish and Bengali in Sweden? In today's episode, Smaya shares with us her stories of growing up in a suburb close to Stockholm, as well as her experiences as a cultural producer. Her story is about the challenges of being a mother and raising her daughter in a society that, despite its international reputation, continues to exclude and discriminate people. I'm Fumi, this is Hashigawa Racism, and this is the story of Sumaya. Sumaya was born in Stockholm, Sweden, to two Bangladeshi parents. She has one sister and two brothers, all born in Sweden. Sumaya and her siblings grew up in a suburb close to Stockholm, which was ethnically diverse. Despite the diversity in the area she grew up in, Sumaya says she and her siblings grew up being othered by their peers, and they all found different ways to deal with it. My parents are Bangladeshi, and um, it was interesting since, like, I was brought up in very, like, um, they were really proud of their cultures. Like, we were wearing traditional clothes on holidays and eating the food and, like, celebrating all the things that you do and, like, very, like, ornaments in the home and everything like that. So we were, like, the whole family were really proud of their culture. But then when you, like, stepped out of your comfort zone and your home, like, when I was quite young, I had, like, Mandy, it's, like, henna you do it on your on your palms and other places on your body but most of that hands and and so and it was after a celebration of can't really remember but something very traditional and I went to school and had it and my classmates even if they were diverse and everything uh, yes I did uh, go to school close to where I lived so yes and they were all like they were seeing it and were like what what is that it looks like burn marks on your hands and why are you wearing that? And of course, that made me feel like ashamed of myself and my culture. They started to wear gloves because that don't wear off just immediately. You can't just wash it off. You have to wait until it just comes off by itself in like two weeks or so. So it was a long time that I had to bear with me that feeling of like not... Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was interesting like just to switch the feelings like... At one point, you were really proud and like in the right context. And then when you just stepped out of it, then the feeling just changed. Yeah. And I think also it's like a human factor that you want to, it's also like a survival factor, I think, that you want to adapt to the the situation you're in. So instead of like standing up for myself, because who does that when you're five? I just try to like take it off, wear everything off, like to be basic and just to blend in. That was kind of it. And even if my siblings went to school and and there's only two years in between all of us, so we can see each other in school and all of that. But it was interesting because we didn't really, um, when we saw each other, we didn't really like take contact or anything. We were like, we're part of our own groups in school so when we got home we were all friendly and stuff but at school we didn't show that much um we didn't like interfere in in each other's lives that much and didn't even like sit next to each other or like talk to each other and when we saw each other and just ignored and went separate ways like we didn't talk about it when we got home like oh i saw you doing that or like in school but it was it was just something that and maybe that's also part of the internalized racism we were like we wanted to fit into our groups of friends and we were all very different like 
I love to read books and be a little bit in that area. And my brothers, they were a little bit rowdy. They were like more physically active. They they did pranks and stuff. And my sister, she was a little bit, she didn't have a lot of friends and she didn't have like a big group of friends that she hung out with. She was, sometimes she was bullied and stuff. So we all had our challenges in school. And I guess we didn't want to interfere in that since, yeah, I guess it was also like bursting a type of the bubble of like, this was somehow a comfort zone. Maybe that sounds weird, but it was like our comfort zone since we were like born in Sweden. And this was also part of our culture and we were still learning how to be a part of it. So at home, we, we all knew the, the rules of how to be Bengali. But then in, in Sweden, we were Swedish. And then we had to follow the rules of being Swedish, which was not to do the stuff we did at home, maybe. And so we'd got like new roles among our friends, but also like in the context of being Swedish. Sumaya says she started speaking to her sister about their experiences growing up once they became adults. However, talking with her parents on this subject is still a challenge. I guess like with my sister, I'm closer now. So we talk about stuff that we went through as children and like what we experienced and like what we might have felt then and what we might feel now and what we wish to have might might done differently. But with our parents, it's difficult to talk about these things because I think they were just like surviving somehow, like day for day. And I uh, I can just tell by being being mother of like one child, they had four. And just know that time is um, not always your best friend. So it was like cooking food, leaving the children to school and picking them up and groceries and cleaning the house, like all of these things. I think they didn't like have time to actually reflect and didn't actually have time to ask us questions about this. Because one thing that always has been is it's difficult to talk about like feelings and We've, like me and my, my siblings have tried to ask our parents like about stuff like why didn't you like tell us more often that you loved us or like those things but that was not the culture. That was not like how, what, what they did and sometimes still when I ask the questions of um, tell us more often that you love us or like do you care about us but it's really hard and for them it's more like the practical things is more uh, the act of showing love than actually saying it with your words. So for them, it's like cooking dinner and like they can't really apologize when they know they've done wrong. Instead, they like cook food and knock on the door without even telling you they're coming. And like, I know this is your favorite food and I, I cooked it because I was thinking of you and maybe you want it. And like that, that kind of things. And it's really cute and all, but I mean... That's something I had to learn. I can accept that now that, okay, so they, they can't actually say it. It's really difficult for them to learn this act of uh, like how to express feelings and different ways of like the range of like all the feelings, not only when you're happy and all of that, but also like when you're disappointed or like how to express those things. And um, I guess, yeah, they still have a hard time. And I guess it's because that's the heritage they got from their families and probably that's how it is i haven't really met my grandmothers and fathers so much and most of them have passed away so i can't really ask them the question but i guess that's my analysis of it in addition to her parents sumaya says she hasn't managed to speak to her brothers about their experiences of racism growing up 
I guess with my brothers, their way of um, trying to um, comprehend these things is to, I guess, that's also, I think it's a form of internalized racism, but they try to show that they can be the best type of Swede you can be, like regardless of your expressions or like you have dark hair, hair or like all these um, features that you're born with. Because obviously they've, they've experienced racism as well, even though they might not admit it. But they say like, yeah, but like uh, they like to work harder. They like to try to get the best car or like working to get the like highest salary so they can get the nicest house or whatever that is. But that's their way of dealing with these, I would call it internalized racism. But yeah, like haunting for the best, like leveling up so that they can look good in the people that oppress them in their eyes. Like, look at me, I'm, I can fit in. Like, look at me, I'm also this and that. For many years, Sumaya didn't know how to make sense of her childhood experiences. She says it wasn't until her late teens, early 20s, that she finally began to see the world through the lens of racism. I guess when I started to theorize around racism as a fact and as a phenomenon, I think it was uh, when I was around 16 or 17 and 18, like when I started to read about like Franz Fanon, about white mask and black skin, like when I was able to understand enough English so I could read the books in English because they weren't like translated into Swedish because the literature wasn't really there. I couldn't get my hands on all of the things to be able to learn, even if I wanted to. So I guess it was when my English was getting better and when I was able to like learning to get hand of the books that could express these things that I couldn't really formalize myself and also like talking to other people and understanding that the term Oreo, like I was a brown person with like a white personality or something like that. Maybe that was also a problematic thing. Also like all of those things. So yeah, it was later teens and beginning on my 20s, I guess. That was when I was getting more and more deep into those um, thoughts, I would say. After high school, Sumaya studied and practiced dancing and worked with documentary films. Today, she is a cultural producer in a municipality close to Stockholm where she works on producing and organizing concerts and cultural events for the local youth. She says her role is ripe with challenges. So the interesting thing is um, it's a very white neighborhood, I would say. And people are, I, I would say that people have good standards, except for like one group of people, which people often re- refer to as um, socially, economically, like they don't benefit everything. Like maybe their parents are new to Sweden or like, and they have different ethnical backgrounds. So that's the biggest group that I see that is that's people of color, I would say. So they, they work a lot with the youth community. And I do work with them a lot to, we work with like the police and with um, other kind of um, social services to prevent criminality and stuff like that. And sometimes we uh, arrange concerts. And my bosses are always like, 
you should not think so niche. Like I book sometimes artists that I know that these kids will like and wants to go and see. But sometimes my bosses think that I think too small and just for this group of people when there is like a lot of people who have good standards and who can afford to go to concerts on their spare time, these kids cannot. To book a bigger artist, there are more people-pleasing, I guess. And this is like my, my feeling often when, I, when I'm at work, that the things that I work with, we get a lot of critiques for like putting too much emphasis on the POCs in the communities because they're like the smaller group and the minorities, and that we should focus more like broad. I guess that's one thing. But we also know that the broad group, they can like support themselves more easily than the smaller group. And so we should support them because that's our job, basically, as a municipal to do, to help and give like a good spare time for the people who maybe can't do it by themselves. Sumaya explains why she focuses on the more underprivileged youth despite all the pushbacks. I always try to work from the like perspective of feeling like what did I feel I needed myself when I was young. When I was growing up in in my local community, I didn't feel like there was enough to do for us who was like we were a lot of kids who didn't have much to do and um, all of the things that I wanted and I felt that I needed, like places to talk about these experiences perhaps or like feeling uh, like to have like this safe zone where I can just be myself and stuff like that. So that's what I'm, I'm trying to practice when I'm at work, like to give other children who have these experiences to do it for themselves. But that's the thing, like people still live, like people can't really use words of describing racial injustice and stuff like that. And um, I guess this is the result of it. Like, even though I'm in a place of, what do you say, you can, I can shift the perspective and do stuff for children that have my position now as a child, as a child, I can help them, but I'm, I'm kind of not always allowed since these structures still exist and are still like the majority of how people think and feel that we should uh, live by. Sumaya continues her reflections along this line of thought. The art and dance world and also the, I guess, the performance art world, it's very wide. That's also my feeling of why I haven't been able to stay in one place. Like I've been changing like jobs all the time and feeling like I don't I don't fit in here like how will I how can I put the best of my experiences and my knowledge and everything of that in here so that I guess what I'm trying to say is like it feels sometimes nowadays I've struggled a lot with my bosses who often um yeah, maybe they don't really understand my perspective always. And uh, I guess they can't really. So a lot of people say to me that I'm like a social genius that I can fit in all because I, I have manners so I can just adapt. And so my boss always say, oh, you're so likable. Everyone likes you and stuff. But in reality, I come home and cry because I have like this gut feeling that that I don't do enough or like people feel like I don't do like the way that I'm not like following the straight line and like wanting to do stuff differently and I've also like thought about changing jobs because of that because I feel like I'm not really 
I don't feel part of the group or like I get a lot of I'm a uh, you can say like I get I get critiques for like not being I guess Swedish enough. I'm trying to come up with a good example. When I was uh, on parent leave, I was it for like 10 months and during that time it was both covid but uh during that time they hired another person to um, replace my work for that time and when i came back they were like oh smaya no you're not supposed to you're not going to do what you did before your when you went on parent leave we're going to f- shift the focus of your work to more to do with this so i was more of a culture producer for both adults and children before like the whole spectra and then when i got back they like shifted my focus and the person that they hired just for that period of time when i was gone they gave her a permanent contract so that she could continue and she was white but nothing to do even though if we're not going to look at that but she booked more like that kind of type of artist and she went more with the line that they wanted to have and they liked her a lot but they couldn't say that to my face like oh uh, it was just like a symbolic thing for me that I was replaced because of I couldn't really deliver what they were expecting me to do and I chose different paths than than what my colleague did so she she got like praised for that and she got a, a a contract and she was hired and i got like shifted because I, i i didn't deliver on what they were expecting and for me that was a big wake up call of like is this what i should be doing like even when i'm trying to use my voice and i'm trying to take a direction for people like me i don't get the they don't trust me with that i guess that's it. I mean, I I can't really feel trusted with my bosses in my own work where I should. Sumaya shares her take on the current situation in Sweden concerning debates around racism and how that feeds into her experiences in the workplace. One thing that is interesting to know in Sweden until kind of recently, Sweden their own reflection of themselves like out to the world is often that they consider themselves to be feminist as a nation and they have feminist values and also like open-mindedness and all of that but in reality <laughs> the word race was like forbidden almost to use after like i guess in the late 70s or 80s so like the vocabulary to use for like if or and when you were like how do you call it like if you if you ever felt any type of racism was really hard to talk about since there wasn't any like language for it since they like took away all of it so when people were starting to talk about race people got offended and thought like we're not dogs we're not animals and was like referring to that as like we're all people we're all the same you could see and you can also see in like statistics and demographics that it is not all the same and we we do actually differ people from people and uh, yeah that's been interesting to follow <laughs> growing up in Sweden but i i feel like when i when i talk to my friends who do other things somehow like some stuff is still get it's getting better like people are since me too like people hire intimacy coordinators like they want to do better a lot of like a lot of um art 
and uh, how do you say if in the film industry some people who are a little bit more woke uh, they're trying to do better but I guess like to pinpoint what the Swedishness is in all of this that stops always the process is I guess the fact that we don't have statistics on ethnic diversity in Sweden because people think that's racism like to actually have numbers on these type of things and I just read on I I think there was like a news from a medical paper the other day that said like there was a doctor who said that because in the paper it was they were trying to express that they want to do better like they so they have more examples with darker skin when they're doing like trainings and when they're working with educational so that people can see how um maybe let's say like eczema can look on different skins so because a lot of things like you can't you've always seen it on white skin so that's the only way you know how it actually looks because you haven't given the examples that it could look different on different bodies that's one example so this was what the paper was uh trying to give awareness to and then there was a doctor who was like well, um, I've been a doctor in this business for this and this many years. And with my experience, I can say for a fact that darker skin or black skin is thicker than white skin. And it's uh, it takes more force to use like, um, what's it called? Uh, a shot, to take a shot or like that kind of things. And I mean, that's like an idea of racism that goes like 300 years back. It's so... That's like so, so, so old. So it's so different. Like some places we are doing better. We're, we have like diversity coordinators or intimacy coordinators to like break the silence. And people like me who have taken over some of the art like jobs, they are doing so good. Like they have these bandages with different skin tones. So nude is not only beige and all of that so just just one example but it's like little little steps but then there are these people who are still like 300 years back in their minds so some days I feel like yeah this is really nice and I like my job and I like the business I'm in and I feel like I'm at the right place and I do the right things and some days I feel I'm really lost and I just go home and cry and just take a deep breath and try to like wash it off and go back and think like yeah because and that that's the thing because um I don't know where I could fit in better than this because I am a Swede and I am Bengali and I, I consider myself both and I feel like I can't go to Bangladesh and feel more accepted there and I won't like go to another western country and feel like more connected to that because I don't know nothing about that culture or anything so this is actually where I sh- I am supposed to feel like that should be my alley and everything and sometimes it does in the right context and sometimes it don't and I guess like that's the thing with waking up every day it's just like a different feeling like what do I feel today depending on how I'm responded in different areas or like yeah. In addition to her experiences in her school and work life Sumaya faces questions around identity in the context of raising her two-year-old daughter, Mina. It's one of the scariest things to be a parent, first of all, and to be a parent that is together with a very white person who is, he's woke, but I mean, we still always have our differences in how we want to have things and 
one of my biggest fear is that I don't give Mina enough culturally. Like both of my parents are Bengali, born and raised, came to Sweden in the 80s. They didn't have to do much to be able to transfer their culture to us because they just did what they always done. But me, who have like this duality in myself, I really need to think of when and where I am spreading what. And like for me not to be able to learn my first language, my mother tongue, which is Bengali, I need to work so much harder to be able to give her that because Eric won't be able to do that. So that's all on me. And that's one of the facts that I feel like that has given me the identity, which I bear a lot of my cultural heritage with. It's my language. Like I have that. And that's always something that I will be able to bring with me wherever I go. Like that's one thing that will always connect me to other Bengalis, even if it's like in Taiwan or in US or in South Africa, all Bengalis, if they know the language, we can always have that in common and that's why it feels so important for me to give that back to Mina but it's so difficult because the language I speak normally with my partner is Swedish and so it really needs needs me to think I need to switch my brain to be able to always talk uh, to Mina in that language and she can't really respond because she's so small so sometimes it just feels like I'm talking in a language nobody in the room actually understands and it takes a lot of both courage but also like time and it takes a lot of time to actually be able to give these cultural things to the next generation it just takes a lot of energy and I didn't understand that it would be so difficult but I guess I do I, I do really now but I have a lot of, a lot of other friends who have similar experiences who also are Bengalis and also have a partnership with a different from a different ethnic background or something like that and so we can share these experiences and when we hang out with our children we can always give them that and that's very I feel very lucky to have that uh, that community it would feel so much more harder if I didn't have that community to feel like I'm doing a good job raising my daughter because it's being a parent is it takes time and it is hard. Sumaya says that despite the various issues Sweden still must address concerning the subject of racism and identity, she is optimistic that society as a whole is slowly but surely moving in the right direction. It is changing. It is. And I guess it's because like we who were the first, not, I don't want to say first generation, but like second generation, like brought up, born, and we who kind of had the privilege to use our languages and start working in arts and stuff like our parents couldn't really do when they came here because they they didn't have all the tools to be able to do that. So I guess their children, which is like us now, are like are grown up and can be that voice that we couldn't get ourselves. So yeah, so a lot of my friends have written literature about this or like are working in schools and universities and teaching and giving lectures about these areas. So it is changing, but it still takes it's not so normalized like a lot of people still think like that racism isn't we don't have racism in Sweden. That's what people think still. And uh, the example with the doctor, like that's just very much how we can understand it. Like 
it always depends on what kind of people you're surrounded with. If you are surrounded with only the same kind of people as yourself, then your narrative will also like stay in that way. Like, and if you broaden your friend group or like people of interactions, just like jumping into a subway and seeing different people, you will understand like, oh, all of these people have different experiences of different things. And one way, one thing is identity. And that will just be very obvious to you who, who have that that little small thing that you that you experience every day but yeah it's so it's it is changing and that's a good thing and i'm really happy to be able to follow this change from when i was young and what i had and what i hope mina will have even though she's uh, at a preschool where the majority is white i hope she can still get the understanding of a diverse society that she can be a part of and not just see that those friends that she meet at kindergarten is the only kind of people that is all out there and the only experiences there is. So that's my hope, actually. Against the background of her experiences, Sumaya has the following to say on what she thinks it means to be anti-racist. Anti-racist is um, putting away all your privileges, whether it is like your background or your economic status or your political status or anything, but to stand up in the practical sense. Like if you see someone in your workspace or in your like community or whatever, like in your actual life during your day, and to be able to stop and to be an ally and stand up for that person who are in direct um, threat to that racist slur or whatever it can be, to stand up and be that support, I would say, is a true anti-racist. When you like stop everything and you are in tune and listening that, shit, this is not supposed to happen, and you feel that you need to do something about that. You can find more information about the Swedish and Bengali community in Sweden, as well as other articles, books, and videos Sumaya recommends people to take a look at on racism on our website, www.ourcontext.org. You can also find the transcript of this episode on our website in English, French, German, and Italian. If you have a personal story to share, reach out to us on our website, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us by typing in hashtag our underscore racism. This is Fumi and Hashtag Our Racism. See you next month on March 1st. This episode was produced and edited by me, Fumi. Music by Pete Morse, Crescent Music, and Fugu Vibes. This podcast is powered by the Competence Center for Diversity and Inclusion at the University of St. Gallen. A big thank you to Sumaya for her invaluable time and energy in reliving first some of her painful memories and sharing with us important reflections on this issue.